This program is made possible by FortFamily.com F-O-R-T-F-A-M-L-Y Because there is no I in family. And with local contributions from listeners like you. Thank you. I'd like to thank you for attempting to chug through some of these words. I started writing this with the hope of dissecting and understanding the ideologies and behaviors of Northwest Ohio. But instead, I ended up with a few interconnected short stories followed by a 200-page narrative written in the style of a long-winded PG-13 world. And if that's not what you're looking for, I completely understand, but that's what we've got. So without further ado... I'd like to whisk you away to a place between Columbus and Canada, where the sky's as gray as the water and the beer's as cold as the ice that you put it in. A place so mildly unhinged that it passes inspection without much inspection at all. A place that's completely fictional and in no way based on reality or involving people that I know in real life. I'm Mick Fox. With me as always is Molly. And this is Midwestern Pulp. Part 1. Four to five freaks to set the setting. Donnie. It's either 1986 or 2012 and it doesn't matter because this part of the world doesn't change or age or respond to normal fluctuations in weather or time or anything like that. But it's summer in northwest Ohio and I'm barbacking at an establishment on an island off the coast of Port Clinton. By barbacking, I mean I am carrying buckets of ice from a shed that houses an ice machine to another building that puts warm beer into said ice and sells said beer to 42-year-old spring breakers. Would it be more efficient and cost-effective to buy refrigerators for said establishment? Sure, but it's 1994 and refrigerators haven't been invented yet. A large portion of my job is waiting for these giant buckets of ice to fill up now, hey, if I fumble, if I fumble on some words, I'm just going to ram right through them. Just ram through it. I'm just going to ram right through it. I'm not going to correct myself. It's not like you should my turn book. of phrase was any good. You should buy the book and see the pictures and then like double check. What was it that he said there? I don't, I don't know. I Keep don't going. Know. You're doing great. Thanks, babe. Mm-hmm. As I wait for my eyes, I have to constantly be on the lookout for this man named Donnie. Donnie is a person who presumably lives on the island, though I have seen a car that looks just like his on the ferry. He drives a crummy old Buick that he just loves. It has a sticker on the back window that from a distance looks like a Freemason's compass, but up close it's just drawings of male genitals in the shape of a Freemason's compass. He has a female blue-nosed pitbull named Bob Saget, and when people ask what her name is, he loves pretending like he's never heard of the actor Bob Saget before. Rest in peace, Bob Saget. Yeah. The issue with Donnie, other than the fact that he is the worst, is that he's constantly trying to steal ice out of the ice machine. He's always stealing ice because this monster of a person is always wearing a knee-length fur coat in the middle of the summer. And I mean, I have never seen him without it. To say that Donnie is eccentric would both be an understatement and be giving him far too much credit. He has no artistic sensibilities unless you consider perversion an art form. His perversion has a specific radar for and gravitation to overly intoxicated women and occasionally men in the throes of a midlife crisis. Ironically enough, these people seem to have a strange attraction to him after fewer drinks than you'd think. 
I don't have a rock-solid explanation for this. I'm no scientist. But if I were, I'd recognize and record the following pattern of behaviors. Person A, let's call her Donna, walks into our establishment. I use the word our here because our owner, Chris, likes us to use first-person plural while we're at work. He's very intentional about this. I think he probably read about it in some self-helpy sort of business book, but the level of intention leads me to believe that he enjoys the first person because it allows him to feel like a part of something. I don't think Chris has many friends. Yes, Chef. Anyway, Donna walks into our establishment. She has obviously been drinking before entering said establishment, and Donna is 49 years young, a mother of two, engaged to her second husband, and on a low-key bachelorette party with some of her bitches. She is a very classy lady. I am only kidding. She orders a relatively obscure-sounding cocktail that's really just a vodka soda with grenadine. I've seen it called a dirty Shirley Temple or a Russian kiss or many, you know, a bunch of dumb she scolds the bartender for not knowing what she's talking about, then teaches her how to make the drink. At this point, our hero, Donnie, catches a change in the air. His nose picks up the fragrance of regretful decisions from years gone by. He then tunes his ear to a certain frequency that all Donna's voices seem to produce. It seems Donnie isn't affected by any variable in this entire universe other than the presence of a Donna. Donnie scans the room, searches for his Donna. While the untrained eye may see a room full of Donnas, Donnie knows the difference in nuances between all archetypes in this bar. He knows he doesn't stand a chance with Kimberly's or Kelsey's. Barbara's and Diane's would eat him alive, and let's be honest, Sierra's and Amber's would marry him, poison him, and send his Buick into the lake. Or worse, they live a relatively normal life back on the mainland and grow old together. But Donnas? Donnas are Donnie's sweet spot. Donnie is Donna's very strange two to three day escape from the mediocrity that she's afraid her life has become. Though, if you're ever in a position or state of mind to willingly bring a person like Donnie into your life, your situation is far from mediocre and it's already far out of your control. From this point, Donnie will find a window to approach his Donna. Her initial reaction to its presence is to harden her shell and reject his gaze, and rightfully so, because addressing Donnie is a critical error in trying to keep him away from you. But because Donna is without her better judgment and has been ignored by friends and partners alike, she can't help but enjoy the attention, so she glances back at him for a fraction of a second from the other end of the bar. At this point, anybody who works in the bar can tell you almost exactly where this is going. Donnie will approach Donna, he will ask her name. She will give him a fake name, let's say Brookie. Donnie also knows this isn't her name. Donnie will laugh and go, Okay, Brookie, what are you drinking? Before she can respond, he'll yell at the bartender, Hey, Meg, babe, could you get us two dirty Shirley's? The bartender's name is Megan and hates being called Meg, but Donnie tips well when he's with Donna, and let's be honest, Megan has been called more horrible things today alone. Donna secretly loves how forward Donnie's acting. She's never been with a man so confident, not really, and Donnie's confidence seems to make her more confident herself, and she loves that. Her friends say she should be more confident. She should be more spontaneous like her friend Brandy. When Donnie asked her name, her initial thought was to say Brandy, but at the last second she changed her mind. Brookie. How spontaneous. With her newfound confidence, Donna Brookie, comments on Donnie's drink order. 
What the hell is a dirty Shirley? Well, Miss Brookie, a dirty Shirley is what you ordered when you first walked in, replies Donnie calmly. Well, Mr. Johnson, says Donnie. My friends call me Johnson. Nobody calls him Johnson. I'm pretty sure that's not even his last name. But he always uses a name that could refer to his member, Johnson, Willie, Dick, stuff like that. Well, Mr. Johnson, I'm not drinking a dirty Shirley. At this point, the bartender is finished with the drinks and has set them in front of him. Megan often stalls on the drinks in an attempt to ruin Donnie's plans, but usually to no avail. He is a master of small talk and can stall for hours, eventually turning it around on the bar, causing enough of a scene to frighten less horrible customers. Donnie gestures towards the glasses and says, If that drink isn't exactly what you ordered, I'll pay your tab, walk out of here, and you'll never see this face again. Donna pauses, not because she's afraid, but because she knows exactly where this weekend's going. (laughs) They lock eyes, cheers, and sip their drinks. Donna is silent. It's the exact drink she ordered. She's impressed, too impressed. She's never been so impressed in all her days. She fears she'll never be so well taken care of again in her life. Poor Donna. It seems like quite the jump. Donna breaks her silence. She says, Not bad, huh? Donnie replies, nodding his head. And you said you'd pay my tab if this wasn't exactly what I wanted? Says Donna in a way where you can tell that she thinks she's being very clever. That's right, says Donnie, in a way where we all know exactly where this is going. Well, this isn't exactly what I wanted. She replies playfully. Oh yeah? Well, what exactly do you want? He responds. Oh, I think you know exactly what I want. At which point, they are face to face so close that they are speaking directly into each other's mouths. Without breaking eye contact, Donnie pulls out two $20 bills, puts them on the bar. Both Donnie and Donna slam their drinks back, keeping eye contact all the while, eye contact approaching the level of a childhood staring contest. And Donna, scared to look away for the fear that she may talk herself out of what's about to come, but also looking for the love she'd always wish she'd had as a child, it's as if she's asking him for pure passion with her eyes, and despite the fact that she's not seeing it, she persists as if it's in there somewhere, and since she's never experienced anything like this before, maybe this is what pure passion feels like. Wow. I got a little dramatic. That was my my bad. Donnie. Afraid that if he breaks first, Donna may actually recognize what a stupid idea it is to just leave her friends and go off with some weird dude wearing a fur coat on an island in the middle of Lake Erie. But she breaks first, not to leave him, but to grab her counterfeit, overly branded, oversized purse and make eye contact with her friends as if to say, Don't wait up for me, bitches. So they walk out together, arm in arm, Donnie and Donna, almost in slow motion. Not in a good way, but in a train wreck sort of way. You don't want to see it. You hate to see it. But you're seeing it, and you can't look away. My first reaction once they leave is a sigh of relief. It's a silent, well, there you go. Glad we don't have to deal with that anymore. But if you think that that thought has any validity, you'd be wrong. 
because if you hang around this part of the world long enough, you realize that everyone comes back around. Donnie will be back later today, maybe once more, maybe twice, but he's definitely behind the building, in the shed, digging through the ice machine with his filthy, filthy hands right this second. Thanks for listening. Join us next time, or go ahead and read ahead. Midwestern Pulp, A Love Letter to Lake Erie by Mick Fox. You can find it at your local independent bookstore or online at fourfamily.com. F-O-R-T-F-A-M-L-Y. Because there is no I in family.